Lord Jesus, uh, this is a heavy scripture. This is a, 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 a strong passage. This is difficult. These pictures of, of mutilation, Lord, and, and talking about sin and, and hell, these, this is not the, the funnest talk, topic to talk about, Lord, but it's reality. It's your word. And as we go through it, Lord, we have to address what you say, Lord. And so we come to this, Lord, with, with humility, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that I would, I would give it the, the justice you desire, Lord. And when, when, when you bring up difficult topics, Lord, that uh, we can't be afraid to, to discuss them and, and, and see them, Lord. Uh, so I just pray, for Lord, for your spirit to work, to illuminate truth, Lord, to soften our hearts today, to hear this, Lord, to, to open our eyes to see and perceive spiritual things, to, to open our ears to hear and understand spiritual things, Lord. Would you teach us? Would you shape us and mold us, Lord? Would you do that amazing work in our life, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So, just a little recap what's been going on in the book of Mark. We're in the second half of the book of Mark. The first half of the book of Mark focuses on the identity of Jesus Christ. You see over and over in, in the book of Mark, it's like every story is, reveals Jesus Christ as Lord. Right? He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. And, and, and you get to it, the middle point in the book of Mark is, is the, the confession of Peter. Peter's confession of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Right? God gives him the grace to to see and understand that Jesus is, is the promised Savior from, you know, that had been spoken of for, through, through the Old, Old Testament, all the prophets right, that, that they were waiting for. And the second half of the book now focuses on the mission of Jesus Christ. It focuses on Jesus now heading towards the cross. And Jesus states it plainly, right, that, that his mission is to come and suffer and die and give his life for, for sin. Right to die on a cross and rise again, and and what we see with the disciples there are they the the first time they hear it they rebuke Jesus Peter rebukes Jesus, right they they don't accept the mission of Jesus, they're resistant towards it, and so what Jesus is doing, uh, what we saw last week and what we see this week is he's he's building their faith, he's bringing them to the point where they will accept his mission, which they can't fully accept it until after. After he rises again and, and they see Christ, right? They struggle all the way. That's why Peter denies Christ. But, but Jesus is, is building their faith and, and, and preparing them for what is to come. And so today, he's, he's telling them that they should be serious about fighting sin, that they, that they should deal with sin in their lives, especially because they can cause other people to stumble into sin, right? Because they can stumble and... and and the warning here is that we can look back and see if they don't deal with their lives, they're going to end up like Judas, the betrayer, right? Who, who betrays God and, and goes off his own way and ends up in judgment. So they must be serious. And the warning here is beware of causing little ones who believe in me to sin. It's in verse 42, right? And so that makes you ask, well, who are these little ones who believe in me? 
I believe it's, it's a continuation of the idea. If you saw last week, I believe it was verse 36, he had spoken of, of, of when you receive children, in my name you receive me. So it's, it's this idea of little ones, these, these children, when you receive them, you receive me. And, and so we've got to care for children, right? Care for the least of these. But these little ones who believe in me is also speaking of, I believe, uh, the little ones in the faith, right? Young believers, new believers, those with weak faith, right? We've got to beware of causing them to stumble into sin, to stumble into the, the sin of disbelief or, or disobedience. That's the warning, right? So, so as believers, as Christians, we all have someone who may look up to us. Right in the faith, we all have someone that's a newer believer, and and they're looking at you and trying to see what is the how are you supposed to live this Christian life? How do you live in obedience? How do you obey God? How do you glorify God? How do you worship Him? And people begin to to look at us, right? And so, uh, we we must beware of uh, of our lives, right? So now that makes you ask this question: Why is Jesus talking to the disciples about this? Why is he warning them about causing other people to stumble? Well, if you look at, at, at their life, especially from last week, we saw that they weren't listening to Jesus. So they went up on the mountain, Mount of Transfiguration, and, the, and the, the, the cloud rolls in, and, and the voice of the Father speaks to them and tells them, this is my son, listen to him, right? So they're sinning by not listening. They're, not, they're hearing Jesus, but they're not listening. They're not accepting and obeying the mission of Jesus Christ, right? The mission of to die on the cross. So he's saying, listen, right? This is a warning. Listen to Jesus. Uh, again, and then we see in the, the, the next, there's a story of, of this father with this son who has a demon. And, and, and the disciples are failing to cast the demon out, right? They're trying to do it on their own strength. They're doubting God, and they're depending on themselves. And because they're trying to do it on their own strength, they, they can't do it, right? They're trying to do God's work without God. And, and even Jesus tells them, well, you couldn't cast it out because you didn't, you didn't pray, right? So, so there, you see there's much sin in their life. The, we, see, we saw last week that they're, they're arguing amongst each other about who is the greatest, right? They're, they're, trying, they're thinking in worldly terms of greatness, and Jesus is saying, no, greatness is, is, is being last, Right? And, so, and so there's the warning. There's sin in their life. And then the last thing we saw last week, that they were jealous of others doing the Lord's work. Those men casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they're jealous of him because he doesn't follow us. And how, how can he cast out demons? And we can't, and we're following you, Jesus. He's not on our team. Right? So there's much sin in their lives. And so if the disciples don't deal with the sin in their life, right, they're not going to be very effective. Jesus' mission, right? And so, and even, even today, right, Christians have enough obstacles to faith and obedience and trusting God, right? We got tons of obstacles, obstacles already, right? The, the world, the, the lies of the world, uh, uh, temptation, right? Uh, our own flesh, right? The, the, our struggles from within and, and even Satan's lies. And so we don't need to make it harder for each other, right? We should not cause each other, each other to stumble. We shouldn't hinder one another's faith. We, faith, we should help each other. 
So that's so the warning here is take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. If not, it will not go well with you. Right? And so there's this very hard statement here we see, right? It says, it would be better to have a, a millstone, right, which is this huge stone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Then if you if you cause people to stumble into sin of disobedience and and disbelief, right? This is a warning against destroying someone's faith, right? And this picture of the sea is being thrown into the abyss, right? Thrown into everlasting judgment. And it's a, it's a harsh, harsh statement, right? It's a, it's a scary statement if you really think about it, right? If I cause someone to stumble, I'm, that's the danger I might face. Now, the, we always have to remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ right? Because the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, Romans 8 tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so there's some good news for us to, to cling on to in the midst of this, this difficult this statement here, right? Jesus isn't going to cut us off. We don't go from being children of God to out of the faith, and God says, forget it. You sin too much, and, and, and the cross can't deal with that sin. No, the cross can deal with all sin. But I, I believe the warning for, for believers is, is we face the discipline of God, which is, is discipline, which is difficult, right? And God disciplines us because he's a good father and he loves us just like a good father disciplines his children. And so I believe for the unbeliever, this is a, a warning against condemnation. And for the believer, I think it's warning against God's discipline, right? So we have to ask ourselves now, how how might I cause other people to sin? How might I cause other people to stumble and sin? And I think that what we see the disciples are dealing with is, is, is a great picture for us, right? It, we can cause other people to sin if we're not listening to Jesus. So last week I talked about listening to God is not just hearing him, it's accepting and obeying his, his, his mission and in his word and his commands, right? So we need to be listening so we can cause other people to stumble when we begin ignoring God's commands, right? The things that are just clear-cut, defined in Scripture. For example, if we ignore his commands on, on sexual purity, right, we can cause other people to stumble, right? Our sin always affects other people. So if we ignore his commands to... To, to purity and, and, and sex being only in marriage with one man and one woman. Even though the culture says that it's okay to, to do certain things, hook up, shack up, if we ignore God and his clear commands, then, then we, can, we can harm other people. Right? If we ignore his commands on, on drunkenness, right, we can cause other people to sin. Other younger believers who might be looking at us, now they're going to be struggling with that sin. Right? If we, we ignore his commands to just be, to be loving and accepting and, and welcoming and gracious to people and, and forgive, we're going to cause other people to stumble. So the first one is not listening to Jesus. The second one is, is when we begin doubting God and depending on ourselves. Exactly what the disciples are doing, right? Doubting God, depending on themselves, living life on your own terms. Right? God says, 
live your life this way, but I say, no, I'm, I'm going to do it my own way. Right? I'm going to trust in myself. I want to control my life, which leads to, to disobedience and, and demanding things from God. And we can cause other people to stumble. So when we're, we're not praying and seeking God's counsel to make wise decisions, right? we're going to do it our way. When we, begin, when we stop trusting in God's resources and, and, and living life on our own strength, right? God's resources are the, the Spirit of God, right? The Spirit to guide us and to lead us into righteousness. The, the Word of God to give us truth to live by, right? And the people of God to, to walk with us through life, right? When we, when, we re, when we reject God's resources and we do it our own, right, it's going to lead us to trouble. It's going to lead to all, all types of sin and, and thinking you can do it your own way. Three, the way we can cause others to stumble is when we're seeking worldly greatness. That's what the disciples were seeking, worldly greatness. And they're fighting to, to, you know, to be at the top, right, to push other people down. So when we're seeking worldly greatness, we begin to think life is all about me. Right? We begin to live a, a self-centered kind of life where, where we believe other people exist to please me, to satisfy me. Right? And if they don't, I, I'm getting angry and I manipulate right? because I believe people are here for, to, for me. It's a self-focused life right? when it's about my own self-pleasure. It's about my self-esteem, right? my own comfort, my own uh, convenience. We begin, it can make us greedy and, and use people and lie and cheat to, to, and tear other people down to get what we want. And the fourth one that we saw the disciples struggling with was jealousy and divisiveness, right? If we, if we have jealousy and divisiveness in our own life, we begin jealous of other people's lives, other people's marriages, other people's career, Right? It'll make us divisive people, right? And, and, and it's not displaying the, the love and the unity, the welcoming of Christ in his grace. So, so all these things, you know, all these things, you know, and I'm sure we can think of tons others can cause people to sin, right? And so and if you claim, so if you openly claim to be a Christian, Right? People are going to be watching you, right? whether you're at, at school, in a club, or, or at work, wherever you're at. Like if you're saying, I'm, I'm walking for Christ, right? I'm living for Christ Jesus, the world will be watching. They're going to look at you. Some people want to see us stumble. They want to see us fall so they can confirm, oh, yeah, they're all hypocrites. Right? Some people want to see that. Some people are genuinely interested to see. You know, what, what is this Christianity all about? And so we have a great opportunity to, to glorify God with our lives instead of causing others to stumble. And so because, because there's this warning, right, now, there's a, now he's going to tell us what we should do with sin. And I believe uh, his instruction here is to attack sin at all costs, right? Attack sin at all costs. Now, he uses, Jesus uses hyperbole, which is intentional exaggeration, right, in this to, to illustrate the seriousness of sin, 
right? This, this idea of chopping, off, uh, uh, chopping out an eye or a hand or a foot, right? No, it doesn't matter how many parts of your body you chop off. It's not literally going to deal with the sin in your life, right? Because the, the Scripture tells the sin comes out of the heart, right? Chopping off hands and eyes doesn't deal with the sin of the heart. But this, 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 this horrifying image of mutilation is to illustrate the, how serious we should take dealing with sin in our life. We should be willing to, to give up anything, to lose anything to deal with sin. Right? We, should be able to, we should be willing to cut anything out of our lives to deprive ourselves of anything. Even something, you know, we cherish. I cherish my eye and my hand and my foot. <laughs> you know, I love playing basketball. I want to play basketball until I'm old. But uh, we should be willing to lose anything. And thank God it's, it's not literally an eye, hand, or a foot. And so I would call these... What I would call this is a way we can do this in our lives is self-imposed legalism. All right? Now, I'm not a legalistic person. I don't like legalistic legalism, but these are self-imposed legalisms. And so what, what, what you can do in your life when you have something, an area where you're weak in your life, you can put a legalism on yourself and say, you know what, I'm just going to cut that out of my life because I'm weak in that area. And it, and it causes me to sin, it causes me to stumble into sin, and it, and it, and it can cause other people. So I'm just going to cut that out of my life. I'm just not going to participate in it, right? And it's self-imposed, meaning it's only on yourself, and you're the only one putting it on yourself, all right, uh, for your own good and God's glory, right? So you can't expect other people to follow this, all right? This is not... We're going around and we're going to be legalistic and put rules and I make up the rules and everyone's got to keep my rule. All right, so this is, for example, it's just a hypothetical. Let's say I, I'm struggling with pornography, with lust, the lust of the eyes. You know, maybe something I need to cut out of my life, at least for a season, is, is maybe I need to cut out my smartphone, right? Because smartphone... Is, is just gives you easy access, 24-7 access. No one knows. You can keep it secret. You can keep it private, right? And, and so I can indulge in pornography all I want, right, and any hour. And so you know what? Uh, I'm gonna, I, I know it's not a sin to have a smartphone, right? There's no sin in having a smartphone. But because I don't want to cause my, I don't want to stumble into sin, and I don't want to therefore cause other people to sin, I'm but I'm just going to downgrade to a dumb phone, right? I'm going to go back to the flip phone, or I'm going to get that big old block to remind me, right? And it's something that you can just chop out of your life. And it's better to lose a smartphone than to stumble into sin and be disciplined by God and maybe even fall away from the faith, right? You know, maybe it would be a... It's something smaller. I'm not going to get on Instagram or, or Facebook. Maybe I'm not going to get caught up in, in all the drama on Facebook. I'm struggling with it. I'm bitter. I'm, I'm angry when I, when I get on there and I see what people post. So I'm just going to chop that, cut that out of my life. Right? Those are just easy, easy things that, that we can do in our life. Maybe it's I can't just drink one, one beer. Uh, one leads to getting drunk and waking up in the back of an El Camino. Right? 
Like, you don't even know what, what happened that night, right? So maybe, maybe because I'm prone towards alcoholism or my family is prone towards alcoholism or, or I just drink and I, and I just can't control myself, right? Maybe I'm just going to not drink beer at all or not drink wine at all, right? It's not a sin, but I'm just not going to do it, and I'm not going to condemn other people for doing it. So that's just a, a very practical thing. You know, maybe it's I'm going to stop watching certain kind of movies, and it, and it kind of sucks because I don't have, I can't talk about it with all my friends, like the latest movies, but, hey, it's worth cutting out of my life. It's better than losing an eye, hand, or a foot. Let me tell you that. So I, you have to ask yourself, you know, what, what do you need to cut out of your life? Right? What is it that, that area where you're weak in the faith and, and you're struggling and you're stumbling? And the easy thing you can do is not just cut it out, right? Because just getting rid of a smartphone is not going to fix your issues, but, but it'll help. And you can confess and you can repent and, and get some help and, and ask God to deal with your heart at the same time. So ask yourself, what is it that you need to cut out of your life, right? Sin must be taken seriously because it can destroy our lives. And I've seen many people who appear to be believers, right? We, we all, I don't know if you know the parable of the, of the soils, right? Some people grow up and they, they look like they're starting to bear some fruit. They look like they're Christians and and the cares of the world and, and sin and all kinds of things come up and, and choke up uh, choke up any fruit that they, they be, or the life, choke their life, choke their faith out of them, right? Whatever they had is, is taken away. So even think about that. How many people have you seen where, man, they started looking like they were walking with Christ and, and suddenly they just fell away. And maybe they walked for years. And I'm like, wow, maybe, maybe they weren't even Christians in the first place. You know, you don't even know. A lot of times I've seen people who, who get into sinful sexual relationships and just, they're never the same. They're, never, they're not even the same person that I once knew, right? Sin destroys us. Sin can destroy our lives. And I want to op- look at James 1.15 with me. I want just to illustrate this. James 1.15, a very powerful illustration here of, of sin and, and what it can do in our lives. James 1.15 says, Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. All right, so the, the, it starts here, right? This, this picture starts here with a desire. Sin always starts with a desire. It starts small, right? There's this desire in the heart where, where sin looks appealing, and it, and it looks attractive, and it's, and it's promising great things. Sin always promises high and delivers low. But that desire, right, when you, when you, when you indulge in it, when you think about it, when, then, and then you, it, it conceives, right? It conceives in your life. And, and the picture here is a picture of, of pregnancy, right? So now I'm pregnant with sin, and if you think about pregnancy at conception, you're pretty excited, right? Wow, I'm going to have a baby now, right? The, the sin is going to pay off. Look, nine months from now, it's going to be so awesome. It's going to change my life forever, right? That, that's the appeal of sin. sin. Sin is fun for a season. If it wasn't fun, if sin was not fun, it wouldn't be tempting at all, right? If sin wasn't fun, who cares about sin? 
But sin is appealing. It's tempting. And, and so we indulge in it. And we, we feed it. We nurture it. Right? For that. So think about that nine-month period where we're nurturing it, sin and, and indulging. And even when the, when the sin is, right, gives birth, we, we celebrate their new, new life. This is so awesome. But the picture here is sin gives birth, and it grows up, and that baby kills you. That's the, that's, the, that's the picture that James is painting for us, right? Sin kills us. It destroys us. That, that thing that you once thought was so awesome kills you. It's fun for a season. And something so small and, and seemingly innocent that you, you thought you could control, you can't control it, right? We always think we can control it. And so in here, it's talking about this idea of this unquenchable fire, right, where, where the worm does not, not die. Sin is like this unquenchable fire. It's, it's uncontrollable, right? I, I, when I was a, a, a kid, junior high, around junior high, I used to like to uh, play with matches. I'd go out and when I'd dump the trash and behind my house, there was this big empty field with high, dry grass. And I used to get matches and I'd throw it in the grass, and then I'd stomp it out real quick. I'd get that, like, that thrill real quick, right, that I could, that, whoo, like, whoo, I, you know, luckily it didn't get out of control. I thought I could control it. Well, one day I went out there, and I lit the match, and it kind of burned me, and I dropped the match. And suddenly the fire was spreading in every direction. And this was this huge, like, football field. Uh, field. And I remember seeing the fire start spreading, and I was like, freaking out because it was like a, a, a motel over there at the other end. And I was just picturing the motel growing, you know, burning down. And I was picturing myself in the cuffs and juvenile, you know. <laughs> and so I was freaking out. I was running. I went and grabbed the, tried to grab the water hose. I remember breaking my mom's sprinkler. Uh, she never knew about it until years after why, how it got broken. And, and by the time I got out there, it was finally getting out there to spray it. I mean, it was, it was already on the other end of the field, and the, the fire department was coming. Police were coming. All the neighbors were coming out of their houses. And by God's grace, I didn't end up an arsonist. I didn't get, I didn't get busted. So, so I just acted like I was just a good Samaritan putting out the fire. <laughs> and, and I had all, all the black marks on my pants where I had been trying to stomp it out. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I thought I could control that, that fire. I thought I could control it, and I couldn't, right? And that's, that's how sin is. It's, it can't be controlled, right? So, so we must con- confess sin and repent of sin and be willing to do anything to, to fight against it, right? And so if there's some hidden sin in our own lives today, we, we need to confess it. We can't just let it get out of control, right? No, no one falls into to major sin out of nowhere. There's always been a, a long pattern, right, of, of hiding and, and minimizing and, and secret. And so we have to do it. So today's the day to repent and trust Jesus. If there's something in your life, right, that we need to confess. The, the good news is that Jesus has already dealt with our sin. Right? We're not in the same place as these disciples. We can look back and see that Jesus has already dealt with our sin on the cross. And, and he offers his, his grace and his mercy and offers to cleanse us. First, uh, First John 1 John 1.19 says, if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? God has all the resources we need to change. Right? He's the one that does it. His grace. He's the one that forgives us. He's the one that cleanses us. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit, right, to strengthen us, to give us everything we need for godliness. And then he gives us his word to, to guide us. And he gives us his people to walk with us. He gives us everything we need. And so we don't need to, to hide. Right? We don't, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sin in our life. We don't have to act like we're perfect, right, because we're not, none of us. And so we can confess our sin, and, and we can, we can uh, have God, you know, ask God's people to help us, to walk with us, to, to, to pray for us. And so Satan wants to keep telling you, no, you can deal with it on your own. Don't say anything that's too embarrassing. You can deal with it, right, on your own strength, your own resources. But that's a lie. That fire of sin will, will consume you. All right, so we're going to move. Last section, I want to, I got to kind of uh, want to finish up here. What we see in the last section is really strange section, right? It, it talks about salt, right? And what, what you need to know about salt is salt is a preservative. Salt, since ancient times, has been used to, to preserve meat from, from rotting, from mold, from bacteria, right? Because the salt would dry it out. And so it, it, it's imp- you have to understand that salt is a preservative to understand what Jesus is saying here, right? And Because he, he says this difficult sa- statement that everyone will be salted with fire. And after studying, uh, I believe based on the context of this scripture and the greater context of the Bible that he's talking about, he's literally saying everyone will be salted with fire. And the idea here is that that we'll all face fire in either this life or the next, but the salt will work as a preservative, all right? So we'll all face fire, but, and the salt will preserve us. And so for unbelievers, the idea of being salted with fire is, is talking about, is about hell, all right? If you, remember, if you look at verse 48, it talks about hell as a place where the, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Right? The worm doesn't die because of the salt. Right, It's preserved in the midst of the fire. And so this is a, a horrible picture of what hell is, right? That hell is eternal, right? You, you, don't, just, you don't just get annihilated by God and cease to exist, right? It's, it's an eternal judgment where you're not destroyed. You're preserved in the midst of the fire, right? It's, so it's eternal. It's conscious. You're awake. You're alive. You're, you're, you feel the pain, and, and it's torment. That's the picture of hell from the Scripture. And so p- some people might ask, well, is, is that fire uh, literal or metaphorical? I, I, I believe it's, it's more of a metaphorical kind of idea of fire, but that fire is, is to describe something much worse, right? Hell is still is, is real, and it's, and it's horrible. You know, it's, it's, it's worse than we, what we could think of, right? Being consumed by fire and not being destroyed. And so that's, that's the picture. That's the warning. Deal with sin or you're going to be salted with fire for all of eternity. Right? You don't cease to exist in that fire. And then I think 
the, the idea for believers, right, is it's talking about everyone as believers will be salted with fire. And so I believe this is talking about what the Scripture teaches, the refiner's fire. In 1 Peter, I believe, 1, seven, and in other Scriptures, it talks about the, the refiner's fire, which is God's purifying fire, right? The fire that all believers will face in this life, right? Difficulties, pain, trials, suffering. And God uses them to, to purify us, to cleanse us of unrighteousness. So just like gold is purified by fire, right? They, they melt down the gold and they, they clear out the impurities. The idea that is here and in Scripture is, is that God, by the fire, by difficult people, difficult circumstances, right? Trials, temptations, He purifies us in the fire. But this is a good news also right here, right? Because we'll be salted with fire. We'll be, what that means is we'll be preserved in the midst of the fire of this life. God will preserve us. So what, whatever we face, right, difficulty, persecution, pain, sickness, and even death will be preserved. God will preserve us in the middle of the fire. We won't be destroyed by the fire, of God's fire, right? It's, it's for our good. God works out everything for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God cleanses us, purifies us. His, his fire, although painful and difficult, is, is for our good. That's what the scriptures teach. And so a life of obedience we see is, is, a, is difficult. Right? It, it, it's difficult. It's difficult denying your, your flesh. It's difficult denying your temptation it's difficult when when the world thinks you're you're crazy because you're you're not living like the world right i remember when when uh when i was before i got married to my wife and we said we're not living together we're not sleeping together people thought we were crazy right that's a crazy concept to people these days right and it's difficult right i remember even being single and and having my, my dad th- thought I was, thought I was, must be gay because I wasn't dating anyone and I was waiting for, for marriage, right? These are things that are, are difficult and people are going to judge you for, right? But, but the, the difficulties are worth it, right? Because God's going to make you more like Christ. He's going he's gonna to change your desires. He's going to give you new desires, right? He's going to meet you in the middle of, of all that suffering and help you and, and you're going to learn to trust in him and lean on him. You're going you're to learn to love him more. You're going to see that, that God is truly good and that only God can satisfy. That's what we're, gonna, that's what we're all going to learn in this life. Right? That only, and even what, everything that we lose is nothing compared with what we gain. That's what we're going to see in the middle of, of the fire. So I want to show you a, a, a chart to illustrate this idea, and I hope you, I don't think you can read it very good, but here, you don't even need to read it. I'll, I'll explain it. So he, here's where we are as believers, right? We, we're at the crossroads of a decision, all right? And this is a decision we all face. We can choose, uh, you see, bondage this way, we can choose sin. And what happens when we choose sin it always is easier at the beginning, 
sin always starts out easier, right? The path of least resistance, it's easier, but as we, as we go, it, it gets harder and harder, and it leads to bondage is what we see in that chart, right? Sin gets harder and harder and leads to bondage. That's what James is talking about, right? It starts out easy, and it leads to death. It leads to the unquenchable fires of hell. That's what this scripture is talking about, right? It, it's easy for a season, and it's fun for a season, but it gets harder. Now, the other side talks about shows, and you can't read it, but there's the hard choice, the difficult choice, which is denying our flesh, right? Doing what God wants us to, to, to do in this life. That's the, that's the refiner's fire, and it's difficult. It's hard, right? Obeying God and following God is hard, but it gets easier and easier as you lie, rely on the Spirit, as you, as, you, as you have your Word, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God. It gets easier and easier, easier, and it leads to life. It leads to freedom, right? It leads to eternal life. And so what you have to do, we all come to a point where we have to pick our pain, right? We're all going to face fire, and we must pick our pain, right? Which way will we go? Will we go the, the path of least resistance, which leads to bondage and destruction? Or we, will we choose the, the, the path that's hard, difficult, right? The, the refiner's fire. Face the pain of life, and, and it gets easier and easier and leads to life. Let me pray. We'll end there. Lord Jesus, I, I, uh, I just pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that we would choose the better. We would choose you, Lord. Because only you can satisfy. You're good, Lord. You fill us up. And that's so, such a foreign concept for us as the world tells us everything we need to be happy, Lord. But only in you is, is true life. You have come that we, have li- we may have life and life to the fullest, Lord. So help us face the difficulties and, and face your fire. Thank you that you don't destroy us, but you cleanse us. You make us righteous. You make us holy and pure. And, and that's just good news, Lord. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you don't condemn us, even though we're going to fall short many times in this life. Praise you and worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.